Hi, I'm Frank, and I'm your friend Finn. And it feels like、uh, today we're feels like we're recording on Groundhog's Day. We're in week five of our Doolittle <laughs> viewing. Welcome to Viewlittle. Nobody told me there'd be a dragon. Now let's address the dragon in the room. Let's address the dragon in the room. I had a dream, and in that dream was a character of Doolittle. I'm gonna break it down for you. I'm gonna lay it out. I'm excited. I have this great ability that I'm able to watch TV in my dreams as well. So I was watching TV. And and <laughs> so and、uh, it was the Lord of the Rings movie was on, and Gandalf was walking through the mines of Moria, and as he was walking through the mines, he said, "There's too much light in here because the the mithril was all glowing in the caves, right, right, right. so that this、uh, rare earth metal that was, or middle earth metal, I suppose, this rare metal was glowing <laughs> in the walls of the cave." So he starts. Waving his hand over it to turn off all the lights because it's too bright, and then Mimi scurries out of his sleeves. <laughs> Minnie, Minnie, not Mimi. I keep calling her Mimi, Mimi, but it's Minnie. And I retconned in my brain to be Mimi, Mimi. Mimi. Yeah, as yeah, well, yeah. Because there's Dab Dab, there's Chi Chi, there, so it's Mimi. But now it's Minnie. Um, so anyway, Minnie scurries out of his robes and starts running counterclockwise around all of the mithril deposits to turn them back on, so they start glowing again. And then my sister walked into the living room and she asked me what I was watching, and I said I'm watching the Two Towers on Blu-ray, with <laughs> with commentary track, and and that's whenever that's whenever my subconscious was like, oh, with commentary track, like I started leaning into the dream because I was like, oh, I got to hear what's going on, I got to hear what what I'm watching on TV, what、yeah. this commentary track is. The actors who portrayed the Hobbits were giving the commentary track, and they started talking about what the experience was like working with Mimi in the movie, Mimi. Mini in the movie, and then I woke up some point shortly after that, and my first thought was, "Oh, I wonder if Mini was a CG character or if it was a real creature." And then I realized I was just dreaming about Doolittle. So、yeah. that was my、uh, that was my dreams of Doolittle. Thank you for your time. So the way I picture this is, it's the climax of the movie.、Uh, you know, it's Sam and Frodo and Gollum. In Mount Doom, right, and they need to dispose of the ring. <laughs> so Frodo says, "Go long," and gives Minnie the ring and chucks just it. Fastballs into the volcano. <laughs> <laughs> Gollum intercepts, and all both of them die horribly. <laughs> Fall into the lava of Mount Doom. <laughs> We should talk about、uh, Minnie, formerly known as Mimi. It's a it's a sugar glider is the name of this critter. It was played by Nick A. Fisher. He's a young boy. He's done a lot of voice acting of tiny child roles because、so、he's a tiny、stupid. child. I'm so stupid. I was thinking like motion cat. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> yes.、Uh, it was played by played by Nick A. Fisher. He's a little boy, a tiny boy, really small. No, so Minnie is a sugar glider, and that is a nocturnal gliding possum, and its natural habitat is、uh, Australia. And、yeah, the coastal forests of eastern and northeastern Australia, and also some of the islands around that area. Here's some fun facts about sugar gliders for you. Okay, these are good. <laughs> I believe you.、Uh, it can glide 55 yards or more whenever it leaps from trees, and for every six feet it travels in distance, it falls three feet. That's its traditional like launching, but the fact that Doolittle chucks it, you know, it can probably get some better arc 
in the movie so it can make it on top of the bed of right, the queen. And, and it doesn't do this as in an angle it just it goes six feet and then it drops three, <laughs> three feet three right. feet yeah, yeah. And then six three it, it's six, like three, it's six, the three. stairs yeah right yeah, yeah. it's very weird of course this is something that i wanted to particularly focus on the way that sugar gliders communicate so they communicate through vocalizations they also communicate through visual signals so Doolittle, you'd think, and Stubbins would be pretty capable of going through those. But they also communicate with complex chemical odors. <laughs> so my, my question here is, is Doolittle capable of communicating with these complex chemical odors that the animals are? I think yes. Until the very first scene of the movie, uh, or not the very first scene, but one of the first scenes of the movie where they clean him up. They bathed him probably, but he was he was gathering that that musk. You know, he's cleaned up instantly. Many just hops on his head to secrete more odors. On you're top right. Of him. You're right. Lives in his hair like it's a nest, and jumps into his pockets a lot too, which is a very marsupial sort of trait. You think of yeah, yeah. That's pretty good. Uh, anyway, the odors that they use they mark territory, they convey health status of an animal, and they mark rank of community members. They also, whenever, if you want to imagine what it sounds like when Doolittle is communicating with many, they produce a number of vocalizations, including barking and hissing. So, can, uh, can I hear that some? in mind? Yeah, it's sort of like, <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, don't take my word on that. But That's pretty good. Okay, going off of that, um, well, she likes chirrups, which isn't really, I guess that's barking and hissing. I guess, yeah. Uh, but... One thing that's been continually frustrating is every time we make fun of their animal facts, we're just wrong. That is true, yeah. Um, we So we looked up foxfire fungus. It's real. It is real. Foxfire fungus is real. I did some more digging, and it turns out dragons are also real. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, but you have to be in a cave to find them. Well, let's talk about, let's talk about the cave more. Let's talk about foxfire fungus more. Okay. Because... I agree with you and Joe also in the last episode where you guys were talking about how it looks more like a lichen. Um, it doesn't really look like a fungus. No. But the cave walls, I was paying more attention to them. They're sort of wood looking um, because foxfire fungus, it's also known as chimpanzee fire. It is and fairy <laughs> fire as well. And inside the cave walls, it wouldn't really make sense that it would grow in those places. But the walls of the cave and everything they oh look like wood so my theory is that the eden tree has grown so large and so vast that the cave is actually made out of the eden tree and it is the wood it's the petrified wood of the tree itself that they are descending through in the cave sure why not that makes sense i mean i feel like it does um the oldest recorded documentation of foxfire is from 382 BC by Aristotle himself. And his notes refer to a light that, unlike fire, was cold to the touch. Uh, it's also referenced by the Roman thinker Pliny the Elder. He mentioned glowing wood in olive groves. Mm -hmm. And if you look at the tree, the Eden tree, it sort of resembles uh, an ancient olive grove okay. type tree. Yeah, it definitely in, does. In its, in its structure and its format. So I wonder if that sort of came into play. My question is, does it like look like a lichen then? Is, is it like that pattern in real life? The, the pictures that I saw on Wikipedia were more like fungi you would see and mushrooms you would see growing out of dead trees. Okay. So it had more like voluminous structures. Right. It wasn't like set into the 
I mean, you could be wrong though, because that's not a valid source. You, you can't, Wikipedia. You, you anybody can't, could edit it. You, yeah, that's you can't true. give me Wikipedia. You, yeah. you got to do some more digging. So right, this well, is real. This came. This comes from Britannica oh. um, on bioluminescence. It's a small, whitish, luminous fungi commonly grows on deadwood and deadwood in forests, particularly where the ground is moist and wet. These forms predominate in the tropics, which follows with Eden Island. The light of fungi ranges from blue to green and yellow, depending on the species. So the different lights that we see in the cave would all kind of fall into those range of the color spectrum. What, what were they again? Blue to green and yellow. So we get the blue at the end after she's okay. Where's the red had the come mass from? removed. The red is sort of yellowish. So let's go back to grade school, right? The primary colors. Three primary colors. You remember what they are? Yeah, they're red and they're yellow and they're blue. And what does blue and yellow make? Green. Green. So they're missing red. And <laughs> um, well, but if you go to the far end of the yellow spectrum, it's not red. It's no. kind of red. It's kind of red. No, <laughs> no, it's not. Well, let's think about it this way: the print colors are C M Y K, cyan, magenta, yellow, black, and so. Uh, <laughs> where are you going? I don't know where I'm going with this. Magenta. I mean, if you really take green to the furthest of its spectral heights, <laughs> you'll end up with blue, I guess. Okay, so the red part, you know doesn't fit perfectly but i mean to be fair i don't think scientists typically add dragons into their studies that's true there is this line dropped about eden island in the movie to call it an island is to suggest it is of our world and it is anything but it's not of our world yeah. the foxfire fungus is of our world but not on but eden not tree. when it's red yeah gotcha yeah. gotcha that makes sense yeah so one thing I wanted to bring up on this, how because they are consistently right about animals and it's frustrating, and foxfire fungus being a real thing. Yeah, um, everything in this movie plays out. It's all real. Polar bears are the most carnivorous of any bear species, so, and the reason for that is because where they live, they need a lot of fat uh, to insulate them from the cold, and so they mostly eat meat and then hibernate, and that's a polar bear. But if Yoshi was just an albino grizzly bear. <laughs> Maybe that's why he's so cold, because he's not actually a polar bear. Yeah, why was he there in the first place? Uh, good question. <laughs> yeah, they just dropped me off here. They thought I was a polar bear. Actually, <laughs> grizzly. Like... Um, maybe Doolittle feeds old animals to Yoshi. <laughs> I, you know, once, disposes... <laughs> once the animals are dying and, you know... You got to do something with them. So he feeds them to the carnivorous creatures. You know, on that line, I'm pretty sure, yeah, Yoshi's the only carnivorous animal he has. Uh, the, is the fox? Foxes are omnivores. The rest would be omnivoric, I suppose. Or herbivores. I don't think they're any herbivores. Giraffes. Okay, so, yeah, Yoshi's being fed someone. Yeah, he, he is strictly eating dead cult members. <laughs> <laughs> so we took notes again we did take notes again do you have any from this fifth week of doolittle this entry into february do you have any particular notes you'd like to share yeah it needs more snap zoom <laughs> it does need more snap zooms uh you know i was noticing on this one most of the digital camera movements 
they're all happening uh, in heavy CG moments, like where it's mostly digital animals on screen. Right. I'm pretty sure that they just locked the cameras down because it's easier to put in the CG elements. And they just told the animators, we're going to add in all of our camera movements digitally after the fact. Because there's a there are a lot more digital camera moves than I realized. Oh, there's they're a, everywhere. They, they are everywhere. They're in the opening of the movie... Uh, when they for, he first goes into the when Stubbins comes into the area, yeah, yeah like the garden area or yeah. like the fields. There's like a weird blurring effect too, and it zooms out to focus on Polly, assuming none of that's real. Oh, and then that leads up perfectly. Uh, the house we see it twice, like the, an the, exterior, the exterior shot. shots of the house, yeah, and it's like bizarrely multicultural. There's like Middle Eastern. East Asian or uh, Eastern Europe, Eastern Europe. Yeah. There's all these different turrets and spires yeah. and roof lines. And they're, they're pulling from a bunch of different cultures. Yeah. It's like the terracotta roofing. We, uh, we paused the movie this time multiple times to get better <laughs> looks at things. That's how far we've come. In our this is viewing. week five and we're already, we're already to... pausing. We're already saying, go back. Let's see them. Zoomify. Analyze. Enhance. Enhance. Uh, another time we enhanced, uh, was uh kevin when he has like his war flashbacks oh right it's yeah. like a reference to uh the lester moore tombstone i i wrote this down this is the epitaph here lies lester moore four slugs from a 44 no less no more yeah so that's just like a really famous thing they made up and put there to draw tourists in tombstone arizona and i don't really know why it's in the movie at all well, we it's find like, out that uh, Kevin is from Tombstone, Arizona. He's oh, been there, right? You're right. Because he, he has a memory of this tombstone. So He killed him. It's possible he <laughs> killed Lester Moore. <laughs> <laughs> it is real. The legends are true. <laughs> what Do we know what year that's from? The tombstone? No, I, I, I looked it up and then I didn't write it down. So now I do not. Can we check it real quick? Yeah, we can do a fact check. Uh, no less. No <laughs> so I wrote down here for the mini line counter for how many lines she has. But I sort of just slurred all my letters. So it just goes, mmm, line counter. <laughs> <laughs> There's three. <laughs> mini has three lines. That voice uh, actor who's assumingly like in his late 20s now. Yeah, he has three lines. <laughs> um, okay, so here here we go. Here's the history of Boot Hill C Cemetery, where that gravestone is from. The graveyard was founded in 1878. After a new city cemetery was built elsewhere, the old cemetery stopped accepting new burials in about 1883. But then it fell into disrepair, and it was reestablished in the 1940s when the city began to restore and preserve it. So probably in the 1940s would be whenever that no less, no more tombstone was erected so that follows with the atomic bomb in the film the burning film i'm pretty sure kevin is a world war ii squirrel <laughs> just like the fox is a world war ii fox i think these animals a number of them come through the portal from world war ii i mean yoshi doesn't right he's obviously from later well he's in the time period where grizzly bears have now developed white fur to better protect them <laughs> from the sunlight because now it, you know it's so hot that they have to reflect that probably what happened out. here's what i think happened with yoshi the reason he's so cold all the time is he's come he's coming from now 
and he's going back in time to when the Arctic was colder <laughs> because of global warming of now, the Arctic is so many degrees hotter. Right, so right, that's right. why he goes he get, goes through the portal, gets sucked back in time, and he's freezing cold because he's not used to the, the climate that's there. Uh, another thing I wrote, wrote down is, ooh, you do love butts. <laughs> What's that from? Help him out. I think that's from 2020's Doolittle. <laughs> it's a great conversation between Doolittle and the dog Jip. Doolittle drops that wonderful line. One thing we need to discuss is who is Lady Rose? <laughs> who is Lady Rose? We keep coming back to this. Who is Lady it's Rose? It's frustrating. I don't know what... Is she the heir? See, did you, you listen to that line this I, time? I paid attention this time and... I got convinced the other direction to what I was thinking before. What I was thinking before I went against you, you were saying that she's the heir to the throne. And Lord Badgley says, uh, you can't have a child queen take control. I thought that he was referring to Victoria as the child queen. But on this viewing, it sort of does feel like he's referencing Lady Rose with that line, where he's saying, Lady Rose can't become a child queen. He'll be able to step in and take control from the monarchy. So maybe she is next in line to inherit the throne? Well, I just looked it up, and it turns out she's a character from Downton Abbey. <laughs> Lady Rose is from Downton Abbey? Yeah. Uh, yeah, see, that's what I've been saying the whole time. But Because, like, otherwise, he's just killing... Like, we don't know who the heir is to the throne. And it just makes sense that it'd be the character she... But then she doesn't, like, talk to her, and she always calls her Lady Rose. Yeah. We need to do some more... We'll come back with a uh, monarchy special. We, we'll try to figure this Seth out. Seth Rogen, if you have any, you know, <laughs> we know you did the rewrites. Uh, Steven, if you have any insight for us on who, who Lady Rose was supposed to be, what's going on here, man? Who is she? Who is Lady Rose? Who is Lady Rose? My theory is she used to be a ladybug and they changed the script. Ah, here's a great goof for you. This comes from IMDb's great goofs section. <laughs> Okay. Um, it's just a goof from is, cats. <laughs> there is a... I don't know what his role is. Captain of the guard or something. Whenever uh, Lord Badgley says that it's preposterous, Doolittle is talking to a stick. He's talking to the stick bug. Yeah. The ladybug um, line. I know right. that one. Yeah, he, he, he makes the ladybug line. He says, I've spoken to ladybugs before. The British don't call them ladybugs. They call them ladybirds. Fun fact. So he's not British. He's a time traveler. He's a time traveler. <laughs> or he's a Welsh spy. The other thing I wrote down is, so we noticed in the Rizzoli scenes that Antonio Banderas is shorter than Robert Dagg Jr. And yes. in real life, he's an inch taller. And then there's kind of a theme of him being taller than all the characters. Robert Downey Jr. is standing on a lot of boxes in this movie. <laughs> I don't... What, why did he have to be taller than they, everyone? Because he, he's 5'8", like, he's not a tall dude. You don't have to play it off. Hey, let me tell you something about, let me tell you something about Hollywood, okay? <laughs> These guys out there, they're larger than life, okay? <laughs> I don't know where I'm going with this. That's all I got. You got someone who's 5'8", you put him in a metal suit. You huh? put him in a metal suit. You put him in a metal suit, suddenly he's 6'4", okay? <laughs> That's a that's a good joke. Good goof. Good goof. <laughs> good goof. How would you have written down? Here's something that I had. We talked last time about Dab Dab and her 
stating the obvious, so to speak. <laughs> yeah. She tells she's speaking to the children. Ah, this is Buckingham Palace. Ah, that's a bad stomach ache, which it okay. turns out both of those things are actually lies. And, you know, she talks about forceps constantly and it's never forceps. So all of the things that she says things are, she's lying because Buckingham Palace in the movie is actually represented by Blenheim Palace, um, which is not the Royal Palace. They they used a substitute location. So Dab Dab is papering over the mistruths of the movie to convince the audience what things are real and aren't real. I'm going to read a quote here. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now you're looking for the secret, but you won't find it because, of course, you're not really looking. You don't really want to work it out. You want to be fooled. Dab Dab is a master of foolery. She's tricking us. Okay. My issue with that. Mm-hmm. So she's presenting things that we accept as facts. Hold on. We got a plane. Let's wait this out. <laughs> <laughs> We're recording a podcast in a flight path. What in a on earth? Boys, we got a plane in here. Hot and inbound. Yeah, it sounds to me like a two prop engine. Probably running about 400 cc's through that thing. You know, this is a good crossover moment from the movie Stuart Little. <laughs> Doesn't he want to fly a plane? Am I right in that? I don't know. I haven't seen Stuart Little since I was little. Hey, hey if you've seen Stuart Little, reach out to reach us. Reach out to us. Let us know. Is, is, this a, is this a crossover moment? All right. Plane's gone. Where were we? I don't remember. And the thing about Dab Dab being a, a, a liar is like, so she's portraying these mistruths as real things. So we accept that it's Buckingham Palace, right? Right. So what is your argument for the medical instruments? Are they real medical instruments and we're just accepting them as leaks or like because No, they become forceps. The the art of the movie is to show us all. Ah, they it is medical equipment. Dab dab is she's being truthful. We come to believe her. But no, that's a joke. Is it? It's a joke, yeah, but I don't think so. No, because it's a good laugh. He's like, hand me that medical equipment. And she's like, oh, I knew it would come in handy. And then all the characters are laughing about how dumb she is. They're not. You're making that up. That's fin fiction. Oh, gosh. Hey, that leads us into our next segment. Everyone's favorite (laughs) segment of the show. The new segment. I was thinking about last week on how there's so many animals that are just added into the movie to give you good quips and then they're never seen from heard of again they're not important there's the you're the talking lo- about the lion cub, cub the, the orangutan. orangutan well he's the main character but, <laughs> but also the rabbit right mm-hmm. and where i'm going with this is i wanted to make some fin fiction so i want you to add in a character at any point in the movie, what animal would you just stick in there to say a line? What animal is strictly missing from this movie? What, yeah. what What part of the animal kingdom is not well represented? And you get one line to put in there, too. Like, you, you know, it's just a joke. It's an animal that exists just to say something non sequitur. Okay, okay, okay. Um, I think that a particularly interesting animal might be something like an anteater. <laughs> It appears in the ant scene. It just slurps them all. That's the whole scene. <laughs> they don't unlock the door. They don't get the key. 
No, yeah. no, even better. I got, I got, dude. <laughs> so you know, he pays them in sugar. They open the lock, and then they go on their merry way. Instead, an ant eater that he also hired them with ants slurps up all the ants, and he pockets the sugar. <laughs> That's a really good segment. Well, it needs a line. What's your, what's oh, what? what's, he, what's his quip? What's, yeah. What does he say? Uh, that's just business. <laughs> hey, it's just it's nothing personal, kid. It's just business. <laughs> that's really good. <laughs> okay. Um, do you have any other animals you would just slap into a scene? What continents aren't really covered? So we have. We have Australian, we have mini, um, we have... Antarctic, Arctic. Right, you got the polar bear. There aren't any reptiles, really. You need a good reptile in this movie. We're lacking reptiles. You're, you're right. There, there's a lack of fish and reptiles. Yeah, there certainly are. It's like all mammalia. Yeah, it is. Well, that actually makes sense, because those are the... Well, where, what are birds? Birds are... Those are mammals, are they? <laughs> no, no, birds are reptiles. You're right. Yeah, but they're not like we we want like they're one birds. Of the... We want a we want a scaly critter. Yeah, we want a scaly critter, a serpent. Oh, we have a dragon. We're we both have a, yeah. There's a dragon. <laughs> That's a mythical. It beast. is a mythical beast. It's a it's a fantastical creature. We need something more yeah. more regular. We've got the hair. We need a tortoise. Do you want to hear my? Oh, the tortoise works too. My pitch was going to be a snail at the beginning of the movie. And he's, you know, it cuts in the middle of the movie when at, or right after it's, the Rizzoli it's a scene. A snail? Yeah, it, that's not a reptile. It's not. A reptile. <laughs> <laughs> it could be a tortoise. It doesn't matter. Okay, 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 okay. They're interchangeable as animals. They're both slow. I'm listening. Okay, no, they're just the same. So in shells. the middle of the movie, you cut back to them for no reason, and. It goes, wait for me. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that coming a mile away. <laughs> yeah, it's not very good. <laughs> it's fantastic. It's exactly what the movie needs. Yeah. Anyway, Seth Rogen reached out. To- <laughs> <laughs> that one didn't make it. <laughs> the Taurus is also farting the whole time. <laughs> wait for me. <laughs> can i hear your humphrey impression <laughs> uh i can't i've got to do it on the spot now i'm feeling nervous as a representative of voice actors of whales i feel like I... <clears throat> i'm on my way that was awful that wasn't it that wasn't it humphrey here okay that that leads me to the other new segment there's a scene where doolittle's talking as an animal to the camera and then it switches over to English. Right. And I want you to speak out to the animals of the world. Give them a message, and then we'll swap it to English. We'll zoom in. Okay, so, okay, okay. So for those of you at home, just focus in on Frank's mouth. It's a trip and whistle. <laughs> just <laughs> zoom in. And I'll do my best here. This is the the scene being set. I'm, I'm speaking in animals here. Yeah. Here we go. And that's whenever we realized it wasn't as it seemed. <laughs> that's pretty good. Thanks. That's 
<laughs> you kind of just copied what Robert Downey Jr. I did. did I really, I really did. Yeah, I, I used him as my muse. Uh, he was my inspiration there. Yeah, mine would be buzz, 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 <laughs> and that means back off, kid. <laughs> oh, Stubbins. Well, the last thing I have written down is whales, boyo, whales. They have this insane whales, plot. Boyo. They're like, how will we find where? Um, What's his name? The bad guy. Moodfly. Moodfly. How will we track him? And, and he goes, whales, boy, whales. And then they track him with whales. But what's funny is there's like a whole two-minute montage of them pointing at maps that is meaningless because the whales show up and they're like, yeah, just follow us. That's true. There was no reason for them to be <laughs> examining all of these maps throughout the course of that montage, trying to figure out where Eden, the secrets of Eden Island. I guess it's possible that we're supposed to think as the audience that they're figuring out about the cave and things like that in those sequences but they're like not those kinds of maps <laughs> yeah but it's like the secrets of the island kind of stuff like some of it's they're reading about oh, the island okay, itself follow up. how do they even have these maps that's a good question because i suppose that they would have been left over at doolittle's house except if that were the case they would have been sunk on the ship yeah. when the lily rose sank exactly so maybe lily ha- still had a, her teenage bedroom at monteverde and they yeah but i don't think Rosilli would part with any of that that's true his one possession was the it journal, was a journal done. <laughs> <laughs> no no good oh also the reason why just to clarify for those people at home the reason why the whales help him at all is because they're welsh <laughs> <laughs> that's my joke <laughs> yay thank you thank you I have something to share. In the ending credit sequence, the portraits that are shown, uh, Doolittle and his friends, they're being inducted into the Royal Victorian Order, and it's noted by the Maltese Cross Badge, and it's suspended from the red, white, and blue ribbons. So this is a dynastic order of knighthood, and it was created by Her Majesty Queen Victoria in 1896, which we know is 44 years after the movie takes place. So... um, they're all 44 years older in these portraits, which means that they are eating the fruit of the Eden tree to stay young. That's what I'm <laughs> assuming. The ones that are seen wearing it around their neck, they're made knight commanders of the order, and they're to be addressed as Sir or Dame. And I, I have a list here of who those characters are. So it's Sir Doolittle or Sir Dr. Doolittle. Dr. Sir Doodle, Doolittle? <laughs> Dr. Sir Doodle. <laughs> yes, that's the one. Uh... Dame Polly, Dame Betsy, Sir Stubbins, <laughs> Dame good. Dab Dab. Uh, the ants have a medal. I don't know if they stole that or if they uh, were given that as part of a trade or something, or if they were all knighted. Sir Don. Don Carp- Carpenterino, perhaps. Kevin has a medal as well. He's Sir Kevin and Sir Jip. Yoshi is seen with both a badge and a medal, so I'm assuming he's Sir Yoshi. And Chi Chi is only shown with a badge. So Chi-Chi could be either a commander, a lieutenant, or just a member of the order. It's possible that he's not. One thing to note is that Chi-Chi has a, a, like a gorilla neck, so maybe they couldn't fit on uh, That's a good point. They didn't have enough ribbon. They do put it on the giraffe neck, though. Yeah, that's true. And it goes all the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, the characters that are shown, but they don't have a medal on them, the dragonfly James mm-hmm. and the fox. Well, she's French. She is French, so they, they <laughs> certainly wouldn't make her a member of this, the Royal Victorian Order. 
But you do bring up a good point, is that as soon as they find the island uh, and bring it back, Queen Victoria sends out fleets of ships and they pillage it. And right, then she lives forever. Exactly. And this is an alternate universe. <laughs> the year is 3030. She did have a surprisingly long reign for a monarch. Yeah, so millennia. So it's... <laughs> <laughs> we are currently living under her thumb. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add from this viewing? Oh, here's something. Dragonfly lifespan. You oh, yes, 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 yes. So again, this goes back to animal facts, and it's frustrating how factual their animal facts are. <laughs> <laughs> so we know that James is seven years old. Um, and that actually checks out. Large dragonflies can live up to seven years. So We, we thought we had them here because... They they haven't been to King Rizzoli's island for seven years, in all likelihood. And James recognizes Polly. So the fact that James recognizes Polly means that uh, he was still alive seven years ago. He also recognizes the duo. That's true. So he knows them. He personally knows them. But the interesting thing about this, and something that they need, really need to explain, I want a prequel, a James prequel. <laughs> and perhaps an animated feature yeah may, maybe they use like lego figurines but we're getting ahead of ourselves <laughs> he would have been like a nymph so dragonflies uh, their larvae are like aquatic predators and yeah that's where they live most of their life and then uh their like adult form lifespan is around four months or so i'm assuming for larger ones it's longer but it shouldn't be that much longer because they're, they're really just meant to, like, breed at that point. Gotcha. So, James, when we see him in the movie, he's on the tail end. He's towards the end of his lifespan. Yeah, that's why he wants to settle down so much, is he's going to die soon. That's why he he's so distressed whenever he finds out about Sheila. Yeah, but he doesn't realize that he can't, you know, marry a aunt. That won't work. Well, I mean, he could. Yeah, it's true. The Doolittle has different laws. Yoshi and Plimpton, <laughs> Sheila and James... <laughs> Oh my goodness. And we do see James being pregnant at the end of the movie. <laughs> it's, yes, it's a wonderful portrait in the end credits. Of James is pregnant. Him and the cake pregnant. <laughs> and then the ants are scurrying away with the metal. Oh. <laughs> of course. It all makes sense now. I'm not really sure it does. I have one other thing written down here. Whenever, what's the guy on the boat's name? Fred? Is it Fred? No. What is it, George? Jeff. 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 I'm Jeff. Crikey. <laughs> Stubbins says crikey. And I, I I kept meaning to bring this up, but I haven't. I don't think that that's an English phrase, is it? Isn't that more Australian in nature? I think it's probably English. You think it is? Yeah, because, I mean, we'll, we'll come back to this one. We'll revisit this. This is part of a... We'll come back. One thing that super, is super upsetting still to this day is the last scene of the movie where he's talking to Twig, right? It's it's sticks. Uh, sticks. sticks. Yeah, sticks. He's a stick bug. And he's peculiar posing as a twig. Mm -hmm. uh, he speaks in eight-syllable phrases, which doesn't really make sense. And then Doolittle corrects him and is like, oh, that's just seven, which is impossible if he must speak in eight-syllable phrases. How is he doing seven? Right, but Doolittle forgot to break vile into two syllables. Ah, the vile of deadly nightshade. And then he adds like 10 more syllables. He adds, that part is, it doesn't, it's so confusing. Yeah, so I did some research into the movie, yeah. 
the twist is that that vial was actually filled uh, with cough medicine. <laughs> oh, <laughs> and he Lord wasn't ba- actually poisoning him. Doolittle is doing this to get rid of Lord Badgley. Yeah, he's getting him sent to the tower so that the people who are trying to uh, covet his lands, perhaps. No, with so, the treasury. Well, this goes back. Is Gareth is a Welsh spy? Oh, right. So he plants because they're getting closer to the queen by saving her. Because <laughs> right now they're, they they're don't, manufacturing this. They don't have a way to replace her at the moment. So they poisoned her, and it just so happened that Lord Bashi is trying to seize power, and that was a convenient way to get rid of one of their most powerful enemies. So they have him <laughs> sent to the tower. <laughs> of course. It's all a Game of Thrones, isn't it? Gosh, it's getting so much harder to talk about this movie. We're sort of just grasping at what we have. I don't know. I feel like that was pretty good. Yeah. yeah. We got 45 minutes out oh, of that. that. Wow. So That's impressive. We, we did it. Uh, what have you been doing besides Doolittle? Oh, what haven't I been doing besides Doolittle? <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm about to go on vacation. Oh, congratulations. So, yeah. Get to uh, tan as a polar bear, perhaps? Yeah, I'm running a half marathon that I didn't train for because it's very cold here. And the gym shut down for two weeks. And (laughs) I just didn't want to run outside in the snow. Uh, And now, you know, two months later, I have a marathon that I haven't run at all for. Half half marathon? marathon? Yeah. And last time I ran a half marathon with my sister... Uh, we both ended up pooping our pants for two, two days, so it should be fun. Um, yeah, I'm looking forward to hearing more about that. The other thing is we talked a lot about cats last week, so I watched some cats, uh, yesterday, in fact. The highlights? Yeah, the highlights. No, no, no. No more milk. Milk! What are the highlights for you? What were the... Just that, really. Just that? That scene? Uh, that and then, uh, Idris Elba showing up as just a naked man. <laughs> Went for the hits. Uh, I watched Challenge Soccer the other day. Oh, that's such a good movie. It's a fantastic movie. It's so much fun. I love it. And after watching it, I always... It makes me want to go and uh, well, train train in the arts of Shaolin. What is awesome about him, uh, Stephen Chow, is he's so good at using CG in good and bad forms. Like, using bad CG as a punchline. And I feel like that's something a lot of movies could take note of. Yeah, and Shaolin Soccer is a great example of that because there is some convincing CG. It it gets better in like The Mermaid, where he it's just it's clearly intended to be bad, and it's such a funny punchline. It's from two thousand one too, so they're working with early CG. Yeah, and still that's managing what I mean. it. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah, that Kung Fu Hustle is one of my favorite movies. I, I love Stephen Chow. Like love on Delivery is ago. Love on Delivery is my favorite. That's so Chow. good. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Should see the God of Cookery. I don't think I've seen that one. And King of Comedy is really King good. King of Comedy is all right, yeah. Essential viewing. Essential chow. I would love to see the chow cut. <laughs> the chow cut <laughs> of Doolittle. Doolittle. You know, I bet he would create a really funny Doolittle movie. And it would look better. The CG would be yeah. better and worse. <laughs> Just the giraffe scene. I, More of that, please. <laughs> I'm uh, I'm picturing... Um, what's it? Journey to the West? Yeah. Is that, yeah. Oh, stuff, that more stuff like that. That movie's gorgeous. I feel like I watched something else that I'm forgetting. Oh, I watched that Nick Cage movie where he plays Nick Cage. Oh, yeah. What's that called? The Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent. Being Myself? <laughs> is that what it is? No. It's... Of Massive Talent? Yeah. Oh, okay. 
it it was pretty good. It was fine. Who's the villain in that one? Uh, it's a twist. It's, it's a, a twist. twist. Okay, don't tell me. But don't the me. main characters are him and Pedro Pascal. Right, Pedro Pascal. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've ruined the twist for you. It's not really. It's a pretty obvious twist. You haven't ruined it for me yet. Yeah, the twist. This. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. I mean, I'm, sorry. I'm not. I'm choosing not to think about it. So, did you enjoy the movie today? Uh, on this fifth viewing, did I enjoy it? Do I recommend it? I don't recommend it. Um, did I enjoy it? Uh, it was just kind of there. I don't know. It was there. That's all. Uh, no, I guess not. So, I think everyone should go go out to the store, buy a copy of Doolittle, <laughs> and then they should also buy. A king-size bag of bugles. <laughs> <laughs> and snack on them uh, while watching Doolittle. It's a nice recommendation. And yeah, I didn't enjoy it this time. <laughs> now, if I had the nice salty flavor of bugles. If you had a, a jumbo bag of bugles, you right. would have probably enjoyed it. If I could have been a bugler. No. <laughs> uh, as always, you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. That's right. We're on YouTube. Uh, you can shoot us an email. We'll be back next week with more Doolittle. And if you're watching this on uh, Apple Podcasts or any of those, make sure to leave us a glowing review. Give us a little, give us a little follow if you don't mind. If you're on YouTube, make sure to smash that, S- smash that subscribe button. <laughs> well, my name is Finn. And I'm Frank, and I'm out of here. Me too. Bye-bye. Time to watch more Doolittle. No, oh boy, I can't wait. This is going to be so much fun. This is going to be the this is gonna be the best 48 weeks of my life 40 48 how many weeks we have left we're uh, five in we're, we're five in One, two three four five <laughs> <laughs> this is we have five left we five weeks left how uh, uh, many <laughs> that's not what you're supposed to count i'm gonna cut all of it this is no one's gonna know no one's gonna know <laughs>